Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello, everyone. I'm Sierra. And I'm Ashley. And this is your Weekly, Weekly Dose, Dose of Wicked. How's it going? I'm doing peachy. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm having a great day. Good. We're back on track after our hiatus that we took. Well, it was only a week. It was I know, a but anytime we take any time, I feel like a slack ass. I just feel like a slack ass when we don't warn people first. I agree, but we're really sorry that we are trash. Yeah, we just, life got... um Really crazy. Yeah. It was a week. Heck of a week. It was a heck of a we week. We just had a lot going on personally, and... um. Ashley had a long week at work, and I had a long week at uh, vacation Bible school for church that I did not anticipate taking as much energy as it did. <laughs> then we had some family things going on. It was a time. It was a time, yeah, for sure. But it's all right. We're back on track now. Um, if you're listening to this, then hopefully our bonus episode will already have come out, right? Hopefully. Hopefully. It was a week late. But hey, you know what the good news is? There were five Mondays in the month of July, so... We still released two for the month of July. Oh, there we go. It was just the first and the fourth instead of the first and the third. Well, you know, but that's better than we used to do, so. That's true. Still better. Still doing good, I think. But we just had a heck of a week, so, you know, a lot going on. I didn't get a chance to come over and record because I was at vacation Bible school every day. Yeah. For the whole week. And I took naps every day after work last week. Yeah. So, anyway, we're back. Better than ever. What else we got going on? nothing the huge the huge yeah i'm gonna come to you in our time of need it's a story is so a tale is told this time a say tale. that again a tale and they all drank one too many anger orchard at dinner you only had two i know but then before we went i drank half a bottle of wine when when i was sitting down <laughs> waiting to go to dinner because you guys can decide where the hell we were going we just got back from a lovely family dinner where we all went to dinner together almost all of us um yeah, so that was good. But um, anyway, what I was saying is, it's a tale as old as time. I come to you in our time of need. If you care about us at all, join the damn Patreon so that we can <laughs> buy new chairs. I get so sick and tired of complaining about these chairs, but it's just not monetarily feasible for us to buy any more podcasting equipment before we are able to profit. Like to buy that from our profits. And uh, just quite frankly, as much as we love the 10 Patreons we have, they're phenomenal. They supply us with everything we need to produce the podcast, but there's just not a lot of extra money. So, you know, if you guys... I thought we had 11. We lost one. Oh. <laughs> okay. Remember we lost one. Yeah, I remember. I don't know what happened, but if you're the Patreon that peaced out, I'm sorry that you left. Sorry we suck. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, if you love us at all, even a little bit, please join the Patreon. You can do that at www.patreon.com forward slash weekly dose of wicked. And all of that money goes right back into the podcast. Our next order of business is buying chairs. Yes, try Because these chairs are horrible. It's like... Or a couch, that's what I want. I really... Right, just something more comfortable. I honestly just get... I've gotten to a point where I dread sitting down. 
Yeah. As soon as she sat down, I was like, my butt already hurts. Yeah. They're just <laughs> awful. So I know some of you may care. Some of you might be like, all these do, all these bitches do is complain. That might be true. That might be true. Would you complain? But you know what else you could do to help us? You could write us a rating and review on, on Apple. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, on Apple Podcast. And also, we've learned from our past mistakes. This episode is going to air on July 26th, so happy birthday, Mom. Oh, yes. Happy Since birthday. last Woo-hoo! year, we didn't wish you a happy birthday, and we got shit for it. Four yeah, months. we did. So, everyone wish our mother a happy birthday. Good job, Sia. Yes. I looked at the schedule before <laughs> before I uh, started this recording. That's good. Um, yeah, like, follow, share, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. The the Twitter kind of lacking. I don't really know what I'm doing there. Yeah, but the Twitter, I don't know what's going on. It doesn't share properly. Like, we linked it to share, and it doesn't. So, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. It just has, like, a mind of its own. If you're a Twitter guru, feel free to email me and tell me how to use Twitter, because I don't know. Yeah, I know. I think we only have, like, two followers, and one of them is you. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's fine. Um... It is what it is. What else is there? YouTube. Yep, YouTube.com. You don't have to listen to them, but subscribe. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. For sure. Same things you've already listened to, so. That's true. You can re-listen, I guess, if you want. So, yeah. That's pretty much all we got going on in our lives. Nothing super exciting. Right? No, I don't think so. You know, I did think about last week when we were supposed to record and we didn't. I was like, there's something I was going to tell the, pa- the, not the Patreons, you guys aren't the Patreons. I was going to tell the listeners, but I don't remember what it was. I don't know. Hmm, maybe when I think of it, I, maybe I'll text it to myself so I'll remember. That'd be a good idea. I can't really think of anything I want to share other than, you know, thank you for your continued support. We love you all. More yes. than you'll ever know. Yes. We love you. Love you all. We're still slowly, slowly reaching 25,000 downloads. I feel like it's taking forever <laughs> to hit 25,000. It is taking a lot. I mean, like we're so close. But like it's just I just feel like it's like inching like a snail mm-hmm. to get there. So, really right on the cusp of 25,000 downloads since we Share started. With your friends. Yeah. So we get 25,000. Get the word out. What are we at now? 24,581. Only 500 more. Not even. 419. Well, there we go. We can do that. We can do that. I know we can. But anyway, all right, well. All right, anyway. What do we got going on? jump on in. All right, let's do it. Ashley's prepared something for us. She said it's going to be really good, so hopefully she doesn't let us down. I mean, I thought it was pretty good. All I know is um, if you guys doubted joining the Patreon, my Patreon episode this week. Good. It's disgusting, but it's so batshit crazy. Okay. It's insane. All right, then. I can't wait to tell it to you so you can get outraged with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brings me joy. All right. Well, I'm excited. But before that, let's start this. Okay. So early morning on January 6th of 1985, Cecil Beatty was asleep on his couch in his living room when a gunshot blast comes through his window and kills him. Okay. The whole time I was doing this case, I just kept singing the Bowling for Soup song in my head. Why? 1985. Oh. 19, 19, 1985. Yes. She was going to be an actress. She was going to be a star. She was going to shake her ass on the hood of White Snape's car. Her yellow SUV is now the enemy. Looks at her average life. And nothing, nothing has been, been all right since her Springsteen Madonna 
Way before Nirvana, there was U2 and Blondie and music still on MTV. Her two kids in high school, they tell her that she's uncool. But she's still preoccupied with 19, 19, 1985. We missed our calling. We should have been a girl band. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was horrible. If you just listened to that, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, so anyway, back to that. Cecil Beatty. Yeah, Cecil Beatty. 1985, so, in his living room, gets shot on the couch. Yes, by That a was a really quick tangent. Yeah. <laughs> One sentence in, you already went on a tangent, Ashley. What are you doing? You know the people hate the tangents. Uh, I don't think so. I think No, it's them. a 50-50. Some people like them, and then I feel like some people piece the fuck out the first time we have a tangent. They're like, nope, not for me. Well, then this podcast isn't for you. Sorry. No. Uh, anyways, so neighbors report the gunshots, and the police arrive to the residence to find Cecil deceased from a single gunshot blow. The initial belief is that this was either a drive-by shooting or a stray bullet. The cops talked to his neighbors, who saw nothing. All they heard was a single gunshot. They talked to his family. They have no clue who would want to hurt Cecil. And they talked to his ex-wife, Marlene Sims. And she tells them how her and Cecil were high school sweethearts. But they grew up and fell out of love with one another. They had been married for five years and had two kids together. She says that they did get along pretty well, um, but they are going through a custody battle right now. So, not currently on the best of terms, but nothing too crazy. Just your typical, you know. Was it actually a drive-by? Or you can't tell me that yet. I can't tell you that yet. So, you know how your biggest fear is, like, being convicted of a crime you didn't commit? Mm -hmm. My biggest, like, I always have anxiety about is being killed by a drive-by shooting. Yeah? Yes. Why? Because it just terrifies me. Like, the people are just, like, out there willy-nilly, like, pew, 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 like, just shooting. I wasn't trying to be funny. Pew, 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 pew. Like, it's serious, though. Yeah, My house I mean, that I happens. moved into, you know. Big windows. It has big windows. And also, we replaced all the windows. And, like, the front bedroom window, which is my room, had a bullet in it. Remember? I don't feel like yours is so much, like, drive-by. I feel like you live in the middle of nowhere. Okay, but so I don't know. So it's, like, know. hunting. I mean, maybe. But, like, that just terrifies me. And that's why I took that front bedroom. Because, like, our house has one front bedroom. Right. And then two back bedrooms. And technically, my bedroom is the smallest bedroom in the whole fucking house. <laughs> but I took that bedroom because I was terrified. Yeah. With, like, the bullet in the window in the front of my house that, I don't know, somebody was going to shoot through my window and get one of my kids. So right. that's what, yeah. I mean, dad was like, why would you take this tiny room? Because I'm terrified of things that probably will never happen. <laughs> that's why. So I took this little tiny room. My furniture barely fits in. I yeah. freaking stub my feet, getting in my bed. I mean, like, my room is the tiniest room ever. Yeah, I think it it's tiny. like, I mean, it's not even as big as our podcasting room, I don't think. I mean, maybe it is this size. It's I tiny. I think it's probably this size. It's like eight by eight. It's tiny. Okay. Tiniest little room. Right. And this is the smallest room in my house. Mm-hmm. Our podcasting room. Yeah. And I mean, my bedroom is the smallest. My master after. bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just terrified i can't even like the one closet you can't even have a door on it because you can't open the door right because my stuff is so close to it right terrified that's like my biggest i'm i don't know that's like i'm just so terrified that like somebody's just willy-nilly out there shooting and people do it they do yeah yeah i mean it's not like it's not something that happens people or just like a stray bullet like willy-nilly rednecks you know drinking beer <laughs> and hold my beer watch what i can do and they just yeah. are out there shooting guns yeah it could and happen. i can't even judge because jacob does it all the time. He's like, let me just go out here and shoot this shotgun. I'm like, no. <laughs> Put it away. Yeah. Freaks me out. It's one of my biggest fears. Stray bullets coming in. and I understand. So I hope he didn't die for a stray bullet. I hope that this was like a murder that made sense. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm going to be real upset if it's not. I'm just letting you know now. <laughs> well, we'll see. All right. So no problems with the X. Okay. So yeah. So they're going through a custody battle. But other than that, they're doing okay. So Marlene, the ex-wife, she has an alibi for the morning of the death, but I searched for this supposed alibi. I couldn't really find anything except for that it says that she had an alibi. 
Oh, okay, but you don't know what it was? No. Oh, okay. So, they talked to friends and family, and they learned that the custody battle wasn't really civil, like Marlene's saying it was. I didn't figure most custody battles aren't. And it's actually getting pretty nasty. So, because of this, the cops feel kind of suspicious of Marlene, but she has an alibi. I'm so. suspicious of her, too. <laughs> she has an alibi. Don't know okay, what it but is, but there's an alibi. So, nothing they can do. I mean, the cops, I'm sure, know what it is. But I, I would don't. hope so. I don't know what it is. So, the case stayed stagnant per, for um, a little while until a month later, the investigators learned that there had been another murder in close connection to Marlene. What? Her brother-in-law. What? 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 <laughs> so, around 11.45 p.m. on February 2nd, 1985, a, 19, a 911 call was placed to report a car on a remote road was straddling a Danish ditch. The lights were on and the car was still running. I'm sorry, did you say Danish ditch? <laughs> I said drainage. It's not ditch. What you, said. you didn't say that. I don't think I I'm said Danish. That. You said a Danish ditch? Well. Okay, a drainage ditch. <laughs> okay, well, my bad. Drainage ditch. The car was at the drainage ditch. Okay, straddling so, it. Must have been an accident. So the police arrived in minutes to find exactly that with an unresponsive man covered in blood slumped over the steering wheel. He was unresponsive and had no pulse, so they took him out of the vehicle and started performing CPR. Um, Not successful, and he was pronounced dead at the scene. He had a lot of blood coming from his head, and they assumed that he hit his head during the accident, and that was his cause of death, as his driver's side window was smashed. That would make sense. But they began looking around in the vehicle to find some identification, his wallet was found identifying him as Joe Bannister. Um, while they were looking around, though, they did notice the car really didn't have a lot of damage to it. And it didn't really look like it had been an accident. There really wasn't anything to, like, the front, which is where you would think there would be um, damage. Right. Like I said, the window was smashed out. There wasn't another car around. They go back up to the road, and there's no, like, car parts. Like, there was a collision. You know, no broken glass, like nothing. So, was it really a car accident? No, obviously not. It was obviously the woman's name I forgot, Marjorie. Marley. Marley. <laughs> so, they decide they need to do an autopsy to determine the cause of death, but in the meantime, they have to notify the family. So, at 1.20 a.m., the police arrive at the Bannister residence and inform Debbie Bannister that her husband had been in some kind of an accident and he is dead. So is Debbie Marlene's sister? Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was like her brother-in-law, her sister's husband, or her brother-in-law, her husband's brother. Yeah. No. Because that could go either way. Husband. Okay. That's how brother-in-laws work. They could be either. I I know how brother-in-laws work. Okay. Just wasn't sure. Okay. Sorry. I guess I should have clarified that. Yeah. Clarified. Debbie and Marlene are sisters. Okay. Okay. So Debbie, pretty upset. She's pretty emotional. Um, but they do tell her that the conditions are a little suspicious, so they're doing an autopsy. And she gets emotional again and says, no, you can't do an autopsy. Then his body will be all cut up. Right. She says, no, don't want an autopsy. And they say, well, too bad. Not your decision. It's protocol. It's our decision. We're doing one. So the results come back Monday morning. So the accident was on Saturday. And the results come back Monday. That's a pretty fast autopsy. It is a fast autopsy. So cause of death was um, a two gunshot wounds to the head. Why are you smiling? <laughs> What? <laughs> Nothing. It's not funny. Why are you smiling? Because you were like talking about Debbie and then it's just maybe Debbie just hit the wall. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's not funny at all. I'm sorry. I'm a fucking asshole. It's not funny. But it just immediately like popped yeah. back up when you said. I know. I told you. Debbie. The whole time. I was singing 1985. The whole time I was doing this case. Yeah. It's not funny at all. Okay. So he has two gunshot wounds to the head. Not do, just cause of death. Do the bullets match the bullets of uh, that drive-by? No. The drive-by oh, was okay. a shotgun. And these bullets are a 22 caliber. Okay. So don't really know what the difference is there, but not the same. Well, it's a different gun. Well, I guess. A twenty-two and a shotgun are not the same gun. Yeah, I know, but I don't really know the difference. I mean, a twenty-two is that a handgun? A twenty-two is the gun your husband owns. Oh, is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That. I mean, <laughs> the long one. <laughs> your husband has a twenty-two. Oh, didn't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's not a handgun. I mean, maybe 22s can fit in a handgun. I don't know, but your husband's gun is a 22. Okay, let me go to the interwebs. And it is um, like a, a semi-automatic, I think. Well, when I put in 22 gun, it comes up with all different kinds of guns, so maybe that was not the proper Yeah, thing it could be a handgun. See, I know something. It could be a handgun, but here also, there's also a 22 rifle. So I don't know if the difference, the bullets are different. Well, either way, it was not a gun. Okay. Doesn't really matter. So it could have been a handgun or it could have been a rifle. Your husband owns a twenty two though. Okay. Well, wasn't the same. He brings it. They shoot it at my house. Okay. Well, it was different. Not the same gun. Okay. So anyways, um, this case is now a homicide. So they go to Debbie. They question her because she's the spouse. Got to start with her. She runs through their events of the day. Nothing out of the ordinary. Um... That night, they went to dinner with some friends. She says that she dropped their kids off at her sister's, and they had a double date, but they did drive separately. They leave the restaurant at 1030, and Joe didn't return home that night. So some things say that she reported him missing, and others say that she didn't report him missing. So I'm not sure which it is. But in her defense, it had only been three hours from the time they leave the restaurant until the cops come to her house. So, yeah, that might be worrisome, but... I mean, I don't know hours. that I would report somebody missing. If after my husband was home for three hours, I'd be tracking his location. I mean, right. it's 1985; they don't have that, right? Or like maybe like driving the road myself. Yeah, but we're kind of crazy. Yeah, but I don't know that I'm just saying. I wouldn't I report him missing. Though. I wouldn't report I would, like him call the police and report him missing. No, maybe the next morning if he still hadn't showed up. Yeah, but like if he was gone for three hours, then I would definitely be like, "No, I'd be pissed." Where you at, boy? You better be getting home. You right. got kids to take care of. Where you at? Right. Like, I might be blown his phone up after three hours. Right. The first hour, I'd be like, okay, cool. If I knew where he was, I wouldn't care. Right. But she, she didn't. Right. They were supposed to be both coming home from the restaurant. Interesting. So, she says she reported him missing. Yes, if we're both coming articles. home from somewhere. Okay, so like a few weeks ago, when there was a tornado warning. Was it a warning or a watch? I don't remember. Whatever kind there is when it touches the ground. So, there was like a tornado warning. warning. And the radar showed the tornado coming directly for our house. <laughs> and we were at the store. <laughs> and you know you were part of that i mean you weren't there but you were on the phone with me and it was like the whole store was going off like crazy because there was a tornado warning and like the whole store the emergency alert system's going off whatever and you know my kids are freaking out and i was like no guys it's totally fine like nothing to worry about don't even worry it's totally cool it just means that there's favorable conditions which i knew wasn't true i knew it meant it had touched down but i didn't want to scare them so i left and i took two kids and jacob left and he took a kid and i got home and he wasn't home and I was like, where is he? There's tornado headed directly for us. <laughs> so I called him and called him and called him. And it was only like 10 minutes. But in 10 minutes, I probably called him 57 times. Yeah. And they finally answered me. He's like, what's going on? I was like, there's a tornado heading directly for our house. And you're out with our daughter. Get home now. Like freaking out. And he's like, why are you going to be such a spaz? 
Like, um, <laughs> there's a tornado heading directly for us. But luckily it turned, so we're right. fine. But, I mean, that was only a matter of 10 to 15 minutes because we were at the same location we were supposed to be heading home. Right. So, yeah, three hours, maybe I would have reported him missing in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Or I would went out and looked for him. Drove, right. drove the route we took to see if he... Like, I could see going out to look for him. I'm just saying that I don't think in three hours it was no, completely I wouldn't, necessary. No, I wouldn't report him missing to the police in three hours. So, either Especially way you look at that. Especially knowing then, he could have got distracted by something shiny. You right. never know. Right. So, she says that she has no idea who would want to hurt Joe. He's a great guy. No enemies that she knows of. Interesting. Why is that interesting? Just this. Okay. Just interesting that these two men just get killed and there's nobody that could possibly want to hurt them. Right. A month apart. Yeah. Less than a month apart. Weird. That's strange. That's suspicious. Mm-hmm. From sisters. Right. Mm. So, a little background on the Bannisters. Joe served in the Air Force at the age of 20 and stayed in the Air Force for five years. He then got a job at an electric company where he met his first wife, Linda, through a co-worker. They were fast to love and got married right away. Unfortunately, they fell out of love just as fast and got a divorce within two years. Pretty soon after that, he married again. But that didn't last long either. Um, she left him and moved to Vegas. Shortly after that, at 36, he met 19-year-old Debbie. Oh. Quite an age gap, huh? That is an age gap. And Debbie was married at the time. Oh. Debbie had married her high school sweetheart, just like her sister. Okay. But her marriage got kind of boring, and it wasn't exactly what she bargained for. So when she met a more older, exciting man, she started having an affair. And her husband found out. He confronted her about it. And she was like, yeah, you're right. Packed up all her stuff, moved in with Joe. Okay. So Debbie and her husband got a divorce, and then within two months, she married Joe. Okay. That's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah. So even though they both had pretty chaotic love lives to start with, once they got married, they settled down, they bought a house, they had two kids, they had good careers, a good life, and they were happy. There were no witnesses of Joe's accidents. And there were no leads on the case. But pretty quickly, on February 5th, the El Chua, I think is how you say it, county sheriff called to inform the Bradford County Sheriff that um, there was a murder case in the neighboring county. And they thought, hmm, that's a really big coincidence that two sisters' husbands are murdered less than a month apart. Right. So the investigators meet and compare their investigations. They were both shot. But that was the only similarity. There were different circumstances. There were different guns. Different times of the day. They didn't really make a lot of sense. But then two days later, on February 7th, a man named Larry comes to the cops. And he tells them that he is afraid for his life. He says that he is Marlene's live-in boyfriend. Okay. I was going to say, is this the third sister's husband? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the two of them from what I could count. Okay. He says that he sees the connections between these two dead husbands, and he feels like he's next. I could see why he would be concerned for that. I could also see I, why. I, too, would be concerned I would be next. He also says that he doesn't think that they're alone. Okay. There has been a man hanging around Debbie named John Wayne Hearn. Okay. And he just gets a really bad vibe from him. So Debbie introduced him to her... Introduced him to... Larry, as her long-lost cousin from South Carolina. But Larry says that it's a pretty weird cousin relationship. Okay. <laughs> They're constantly with each other. They're all over each other. And they really don't seem like cousins at all, but more like lovers. 
And then within the next couple of days, some family members of Joe come forward and say that there's this man around Debbie and the kids. He came to Joe's funeral, and he's giving them bad vibes, and they think that they should check him out. They say that this is Debbie's cousin John. Now that they have multiple tips about John, they start looking into him. John was 39. He lived in South Carolina. He was a Vietnam veteran who did three tours. And once he finished, he went on to have a career as a truck driver. They also found an ad that he had published in the Soldier of Fortune magazine, advertising his military and tactical skills and offered services of dirty deeds. What kind of dirty deeds? It's a broad that's statement. All it said, dirty deeds. Okay, that's a broad statement. So the police asked Marlene to come in for questioning about Joe's death, and she does. She comes up to the police department, but she shows up with her sister Debbie in tow. But um, they're not happy about this, but they make the best out of it and question them both, but separately. They ask Marlene about the timeline of the day of Joe's murder, and she gives them all the same details that Debbie did, that she was watching the kids, what time they went to dinner, um, but it's all an hour off from what Debbie said. That's weird. Yeah, a little. Didn't get their story straight before they went in, clearly. Mm-hmm. So they ask Debbie about John, and she says, well, he's not really my cousin, but he's just a friend. Just okay. platonic. Okay. We met years ago. I lived in Alabama. He was driving a truck through Alabama, hit it off, and they've been friends ever since. And then she stopped answering their questions. So the interviews gave the police even more suspicion than they already had. These sisters had something to do with the men dying. So they bring John in on February 13th, and they start asking about the ad. He says that it was just an ad advertising for bodyguard work. Not a big deal. They ask about Debbie, and he says, yeah, we're just friends. And they ask him where he was on February 2nd, and he says that he was with his mom and his son in South Carolina. So not really getting in anything from him. They let him go. But they do check out his alibi and go to his mom, Mary. They have her come into her local police station and interview her. And she cooperates with Alibi. Says, yeah, he was with me all day. And she has no idea who Debbie. <laughs> I forgot the D there. Debbie is. No idea who Debbie is. Okay. So, questioning. So, not a cousin. No, they admitted that they're not cousins. They admitted they're friends. It's Were just. not listening to me? I guess not. <laughs> I think that that's interesting that the story was cousins. And then I was like, I don't know who the fuck that is. Yeah, no. They both admitted in their questioning with the police that they okay. were cousins. They told, like, everyone else they were cousins. Okay. But they came from. To the police. Gotcha. Yeah, and they said that they were friends. Okay. But just platonic friends. Nothing. Okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay, so Mary, the mom, says that she doesn't know who Debbie is. So they keep questioning her, but not budging. One of the investigators is getting really frustrated, so he leaves the room for a break. Okay. While he's outside the room, there's a kid coloring. And he goes and strikes up a conversation with him. The kid is John's son. So, the cop's talking to him, and the little boy tells him that, you know, hey, I saw Mickey last week. And the cop's like, oh, yeah, you saw Mickey? Where? He says, oh, well, I went to Disney with my dad, my new sisters, and my new mom. The cop is like, hmm, interesting. And then he just happens to have a picture of Debbie, and he pulls that out. And he says, hey, is this your new mom? And he's like, yeah, that's my new mom right there. And he's like, huh, interesting. Okay. So, he goes back in to Mary, and he's like, listen, Mary. This is what your grandson just said. So one of you is lying. Who is it? Right. And Mary's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, we'll charge you with conspiracy if you don't tell us the truth right now. Right. So she does. So she did know her. Yes. Okay. So Mary admits that everything she said was a lie. Oh, okay. John was not with her that day. Okay. 
and she had some evidence that she felt she needed to turn over. Oh, did she? Mm-hmm. So she had been recording her phone lines. Why? For what reason is she recording her own phone lines? So everything I saw, it was like it was like completely normal to just like record your phone lines in the eighties. I disagree. Uh, that's the first I've ever heard of that. But okay, <laughs> right. So apparently she had like set up. I don't know if like she did this intentionally, but she like set up an answering machine, and when she did, it was like recording all of the phone calls too. Oh, okay. So she just had like boxes and boxes and boxes of cassette that tapes. Sounds like a horrible thing to do. Yeah. What if you're trying to get away with something? Well, John was. I know, but like, (laughs) okay. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So she'd been recording those phone lines, and some of the tapes John and Debbie were talking on, she thought that they should probably hear. So she hands those over. So tapes, multiple tapes. Mm-hmm. So it details their love affair, and they also have um, some conversations about their plans to get rid of Joe and live a life together. She says one more thing that she wants to share. She has a copy of a cashier's check for $1,000 that came to her house for John. The return address on this check was for a man named Bob Black in Texas. So the police obtained... What the fuck is Bob Black? Where did he come from? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like they're just, like, pulling people out of a hat. Like, (laughs) where are all these people coming from? Okay. So the police obtained the phone records, and they found long-distance calls to a number in Bryan, Texas. And 37 calls between John and Debbie from October to January. They call the police department for Bryan, Texas, and ask them to run the number, which I thought was weird. Like, why can't they run the number themselves? It's the 80s. I guess. So anyways, they were like, oh yeah, that number's Bob Black. His wife was just murdered two weeks ago. What? Oh, no. This is a deep conspiracy going on. Yeah. Oh, my. So on February 21st, Sandra Black was alone in her home where she was shot and killed. A few hours later, her husband and son return home, and the son goes in first and finds his mom laying dead on the kitchen floor. This appeared to be a home invasion. Some things were taken, but nothing super valuable. And they really have a strong feeling that Bob is involved, but he has an alibi. He was running errands with his son, and he has receipts to prove that. Okay. And his son, who's with him. Right. Immediately, they're like John. He is involved in all three of these deaths. So, they obtain an arrest warrant, and they go to serve it to him, but he's gone. Of course he is. So, the police talk to Mary again, and they tell her that these sisters are trouble. Yeah. They're on to the investigation, and John needs to protect himself, because they're going to kill him next. And they say the only way to do that is to come turn himself in. So, March 15th of 1985, John turns himself in to the police station in Texas. They question him again with their theory, and John denies having any involvement. He says, nope, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know who this Bob Black guy is. So he resists questioning for a couple of days, but finally he breaks down and tells the police everything. He says that it all started with that ad in Soldier of Fortune. 
He says that he had some buddies who had placed ads in there, and they told him that it was a quick way to make some extra cash, you know, bodyguarding. So he thinks, you know, maybe he'll be security or a bodyguard, maybe to celebrities. It'll be pretty cool. Or maybe he'll be a murderer. That's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to be a bodyguard. Okay. With his dirty deeds. Okay. But instead, calls and messages came flooding in for different kinds of work. Drug trafficking, roughing people up, and a little murder. People are trying to hire him as a hitman. He's like, oh, that's not really what I wanted here. I wanted to be a bodyguard. Right? So first, John is declining everything. But then he gets a call from Debbie Bannister in October of 1984. He says that she sounded young, kind, and sexy. And he really wanted to meet her. So they planned a meetup halfway between their houses at a barbecue restaurant. And there she told him about her sister's custody battle and how they just needed Cecil to be intimidated so he would give up Marlene and she would get full he would give up and Marlene would get full custody. Debbie said that Cecil was an alcoholic, he was abusive to his kids, and he was fooling the courts. And that Marlene had no choice. She was going to have to share custody with that monster. So John himself was going through a custody battle for his son, so he was really sympathetic to how much a parent loves their child and wants to do anything for them. Mm-hmm. So he agrees to help, just to intimidate. So at their end of their meeting, Debbie kissed him on the nose, and he fell in love. <laughs> so a week later, John moves to a hotel room in Gainesville, Florida. Mm-hmm. And a love affair starts between Debbie and John. A few months in, Debbie tells John that intimidation, that's not going to work anymore. They need Cecil out of their lives. For the kids. Of course. And she's like, so how much do you think that would be to happen? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't really want to do that. It's not really what I bargained for. She begs and pleads. And he's like, okay, $30,000. Oh, that was a quick number to pull out. But Debbie and Marley don't have that kind of money. I didn't figure they did. So they're negotiating. John says, okay, 10000 Okay. But still, Debbie and Marlene don't have that either. I'm sure they don't. So who do they go to when they need help? Mommy and Daddy. Their parents paid <laughs> to have their husbands killed. <laughs> Please tell me your parents didn't know that's what they are paying for. Uh, I'm pretty sure they did. What the fuck? So their parents, Frank and Iris Can you Sims. fathom? <laughs> <laughs> like, let's just take a moment here. Can you imagine that you and I go to mom and dad and we're like, mom, dad, we need $10,000 so that we can have our husbands killed. Well, right now it's just one husband. Right now it's just okay. Cecil. Okay. Was he really abusive? From everything I could find, no. He was, like, he did drink. Nothing said that he was an alcoholic. Everything said that, like, he did like to drink. But there was no record of him being abusive. Okay. But, I mean, you don't sure know that. Okay. So, I mean, I don't it just know. makes me wonder if, like, they were willing to actually help them if maybe he was abusive. Right, maybe. Maybe he really was. Not to I speak mean, ill of the dead, but I mean. I could see, you know, want to protect your kids. Yeah. I mean, I could see that too if he really was abusive. I just think that's so, like, I can't imagine. <laughs> dad, dad, <laughs> I need $10,000 so I can get Jacob killed. <laughs> dad would probably be like, okay, here's 10 grand. <laughs> no, he would not. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> he would give me my the whole spiel. For sure. About how marriage is sacred and you work through your problems and it's difficult. And, you know, his whole, I mean, no, he would not give me money to kill Jacob. Yeah, probably not. But I just think that's okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, they go talk to Frank and Ira Sims. Okay. And they agree to help give them the money, but they don't really have it at the moment. 
I'm sure they don't. I mean, I don't I don't know who. And also in the 80s, like, did you adjust that for inflation? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh my God. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I don't care about inflation as much I as you do. do. I know. Because it's crazy. Because when we're doing these cases, okay, it's one thing we're talking about, like, no, honestly, it doesn't matter. Inflation's so high right now. I want to know. Okay, Google it. I'm, I'm already on it. Okay, 1985? Good. Yes. I think this is 1984, but I mean, whatever. Gotta be accurate, Ashley. Well, she asked him in 1984, but then he kills him in 1985, so I mean, whatever you want to do with that. I mean, it makes a difference because you said $30,000. They didn't have that, right? Right. So $30,000 adjusted for inflation is $88,000. Right. So I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. 10000 is almost 30000 It's $29,365.64. Like, that's a lot of money. Right. To be asking your parents for. Yeah. For anything, let alone killing your husband. Right. <laughs> so I can't imagine they had that laying around. Yeah. No, they didn't. I mean, I can't imagine having $10,000 laying around now. Right. But like... 30 years... 40 years ago? Right. No. Okay. I don't have $100 laying around <laughs> to spend to kill my husband. <laughs> so I just can't... I mean, I whatever. Okay. Yeah. Moving past it. Sorry. You know, I get hung up on those things. I know. The numbers, man. I'm a numbers girl. Bad at math, though. I'm not bad at math. Mm. No. I'm not bad at math. Okay. I'm bad with dates. Agree to disagree. Anyways, okay. you know Frank and Iris. Disagree on? Anyways, Frank and Iris, they come up with a scheme that they would come visit their daughters. And while they were there, the sisters would then travel to their house and light it on fire. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> they would then use the insurance money to pay for the hit. So we have Ashley, murder for hire. <laughs> where did you find this case? <laughs> Snapped. Women oh who my kill. gosh. <laughs> okay, so we have murder I mean, for hire. Everything. Murder for hire, adultery, um, insurance fraud. Insurance fraud. I mean, everything. Family conspiracy. <laughs> like, the this whole family is in on it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty crazy. And then Marlene also tells him that she's the beneficiary to Cecil's life insurance. Okay. So that she'll share the money with them and they can use it as a down payment on their house for them to start their life together. So on January 6th, 1985, John drives to Cecil's house. And on the way, he has second thoughts. He's like, you know, this is way more than I bargained for. I don't really want to do this. He turns around. He just wants to be a bodyguard. Right. He just wants to be a bodyguard. Do security for a celebrity. Mm-hmm. So he starts driving back to the motel. But then he's like, no, no, like, this is what I'm, I'm helping these people out with the abusive man. So he goes back. He starts driving towards Cecil. Again, he gets cold feet. He turns around. He goes back to the hotel. And then he's like, no, I have to do this. So third time's the charm. He goes. He drives to Cecil's house. He's asleep on the couch. And John's like, oh, this is good. I don't even have to get out of the vehicle. He shots him through the window with a shotgun and kills him. So he drives right back to the motel. There was no witnesses. There was, he didn't leave any evidence. He didn't even get out of his truck. So, Marlene learns that she's actually not the beneficiary to the life insurance. What? He changed it when they were going through their custody battle. I don't blame them. <laughs> I don't either, but it's kind of funny to Marlene. That sucks. Sorry, Marlene. Yeah. That's what you get. It's a big old bag of karma. Yeah. And, you know, they don't really have anything. Like, they think Marlene did it, but apparently she has this alibi, so they're like, well, I don't really know what's going on here. But some time goes by, and then Debbie comes to John again, and she says, I know how we can start our lives together. Okay, who's the beneficiary? Oh, I don't know. Probably the kids. Okay. I mean, she also has, like, a boyfriend at this point, so I don't know why she thought she was the beneficiary. Because she's the mother of his children, so she probably thought, like, for the kids, he would give it to her. Yeah. And, like, she was the beneficiary. 
Right. Before she had a boyfriend and they were going through a custody battle. Right. Okay. Anyway, Debbie. So anyway, Debbie says, you know, I know how I can start our lives. You can kill Joe and we can have his life insurance. Then we're free. We can, you know, see each other because I no longer have a husband. We can use that money. We can build a dream house. So in the name of love, John agrees. Of course. He does that one for free, right? Then it's paying for that one. Um, it never talks about money, so I would assume he did okay. it for free. And then John tells about the day that Joe was murdered. He says that he was with Debbie all day, making love in their motel room. <laughs> yeah, like, what? Why do people think that's necessary to say? Like, why? It comes up all the time. I don't know. I don't know. It also really grosses me out when people say making love. <laughs> I don't like that. What would you prefer? Having sex. I just don't prefer they not... <laughs> Disclose it at all. Like, I don't understand why they think it's necessary. I don't know, because they're building up their timeline of what they did that day. Okay. I mean, I'm sure they asked, like, oh, we were hanging out in my motel room. Doing what? Making love. Okay. I don't know. I just don't know why it's always, like, ugh, it just comes up all the time. And I just feel like, I don't I don't know why, like, they think they're cool. I don't like, know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Debbie left. They went, um, or she went and got the kids and took them to Marlene's. Which I think is kind of weird, because Debbie and Joe had two kids. So, I don't know how old they are, but they're probably small, because they've only been married for six years, and they only dated for two months before then. Mm-hmm. So, where were these kids when she was off in a hotel room all day making love? Right. I don't know. I couldn't find that anywhere. Okay. Were they with Joe? Was he not working that day? Maybe. Well, That's interesting. I don't know. Okay. I thought that was really weird. Hole in the plot. Okay, so she takes the kids to Marlene. So she takes the kids to Marlene, um, drops them off. They drive separately. They meet at the restaurant, have food, um, dinner with their friends, then drive home separately. John follows Joe to a remote area, and he runs him off the road and shoots him twice in his vehicle. Then John goes back to the motel room, and Debbie goes to her house. And all is well with Debbie and John, their new family. They, they go, go to, to Disney. Disney. <laughs> then two weeks later... Two weeks later... Another inquiry comes in from Bob Black. Okay. So, John is just, like, a murder-for-hire guy now. Yeah. Okay. Interesting career choice. Yeah. Since he's a truck driver, like... Yeah. I mean, he did three tours in Vietnam, so, I mean, he has the skills. Uh, okay. Kind of weird, though. Yeah. So, Bob calls, and he's like, hey, want to kill my wife. And John says, no. No, thank you. Debbie says, hey, this is good money. We can do all of the things we want to do. We can go on vacation. We can put more money towards this dream house that we want. You should do it. You've already killed two people. You shouldn't have a conscience. You'll be fine. And John's like, okay, I guess I'll do it. So he goes and plans Bob. Bob tells him that he's having an affair and he wants his wife dead so he can be with his mistress. Um, I only saw this in one source. Um, so, you know, I'm not positive, but he said that... Bob said that he was leaving his wife because she had gotten too fat. What a douchebag. Yeah. I hate like, that. That really pisses me off. I hate I don't that. know how true that is, but if it is, screw you, Bob. I hate that so much. Like, not only are you going to leave her, like, you're going to kill her because she's fat. Yeah, fuck you. Like, what? What a trash bag, in my opinion. Yeah. In my opinion, that is also a trash bag. Eat and a bag also, of dicks. Yeah, eat a bag of dicks, Bob. Like, what is... I hate that so much. Yeah. That's not the first time I've heard a man say that, though. No, it's not. And that made me even matter. So anyways, yeah, real trash bag. Yeah. Also, this affair that he's having is with his first cousin. 
Why? I thought you'd really like that. I was going to leave it out, and I was like, no, I'm going to put it in there. I know. That's disgusting. It's not really relevant, I don't feel like, but I knew you would enjoy that. I did not enjoy that, so thank you for making people think I'm a weirdo. I don't think anyone thought you would enjoy it with your weirdo ass noise you made. So, um, Bob sets this up nicely, though. Before um, John kills Sandra, he has her open a new life insurance policy for $100,000 so he can get that. Of course he does. John travels to Texas. Bob lets John in the house. And he then takes his son to run some errands and establish his alibi. John hides and waits for Sandra to come home, and he ambushes her from behind her and shoots her. The first shot doesn't kill her, and she falls to the floor. He then shoots her again with a kill shot between the eyes. John leaves and goes back to Florida. Then, trash bag Bob and his son get home, knowing Sandra is dead in their house. <gasps> and he let the son go in. He what a fucking eat in. a bag of dicks. Oh, my God. I forgot. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why would he do that? Yeah, because he... Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I forgot the son found her. Yeah. It's going to make me cry, like, for real. (laughs) Don't cry. It really is going to make me cry. What a freaking piece of crap. Yeah, he is a piece of crap. I forgot that the son found her. How old was the son? 15. What a trash. It doesn't matter how old he is, but I just... I mean, that's horrible. I pictured a little little tiny boy. Because it said, like... Like, one of the things I read said that, like, the son had been, like, sick. He was, like, laying in bed all day. And he was like, hey, you got to come run errands with me. And the kid was like, no, I don't want to go. Like, I don't feel good. I'm laying in bed. And he's like, no, sorry, you have to go. Like, forced him to leave the house. And I'm like, oh, this poor little baby. And then he comes home and he finds his mom dead. But he's a little older, so I don't know. Maybe that's better. Maybe that's it's worse. It's not better. I don't know. No, regardless, it's absolute no, trash. No, it's absolutely trash bag. Like, Bob is a trash bag. I don't bag. care if he's 30. Right. And he... Right, you know your wife is dead inside. You right. hired someone to kill her. Right. And then to send him in to find her. Yeah. Ugh. I don't know that he necessarily sent him in, but, I mean, he allowed him to go in first. Right. Like, he should have went in first. Right. Hey, grab some bags out of the car. Right. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Go check the mail. Mm-hmm. He sucks. Let me go in first. Mm-hmm. I forgot. Okay. Yeah. Bob is horrible. Bob yes. is the worst person, I think, in the story. I mean, they're all awful, but yeah, Bob... So, John and Debbie are happy. They're living in bliss. But then Debbie hears that John's mom is being interviewed by the police, so she breaks up with him. Because that's going to help. And she tells him to go on the run. No, they're just friends. Remember? I mean, okay, but they're not. No, but that's what they're telling the cops. Idiot. So, her breaking up with him, telling him to go on the run, that leads him to be in his current state of why he turned himself in. Mm Mm-hmm. So, he has a confess now to three murders, and he says that the mastermind and the orchestrator is Debbie Bannister. So, they now have enough that they arrest five people involved with these plans. Debbie, Marlene, Frank, Iris, and Bob. So, John is given a deal that if he pleads guilty and testifies against Debbie, that the death penalty will be taken off the table. So, he agrees, and he receives three life sentences. Okay, let me just back up. Marlene and Debbie are the sisters. Mm-hmm. Frank and Iris are the parents. Mm-hmm. And then Bob. Yeah. And then John. So yeah. six total. Okay. Yep, six total. But John okay. was already arrested. Okay. They arrested I just like lost more. count for a second because so I was like, wait a minute, we're missing somebody. Okay. Yeah, no. John was already arrested, then they arrested five more with his okay. um testimony. So Debbie first goes to trial for the murder of Joe. The trial takes place in August of nineteen eighty five, and she pleads not guilty, and her defense is that she had nothing to do with it. It was all John. Um, that they were having an affair and that he wanted Joe out of the way so he could be with her and it was all him. She had nothing to do with it. 
But all of the evidence shows that that's a lie. There's phone right. recordings. Right. Because Mary didn't know how to set up her answer machine. Right. <laughs> so Debbie is found guilty of second degree murder. And on August 23rd, she is sentenced to 17 years in prison. Good. So she decides she's not taking that chance for the murder of Cecil. And she pleads no contest for conspiracy to commit murder and is sentenced to another 30 years. And she gets no charges in the Sandra Black murder. Marlene pleads no contest for conspiracy to commit murder and is sentenced to five and a half years. Frank and Iris plead no contest for accessory after the fact and are sentenced to five years of probation and some fines. Bob was found guilty of capital murder and was sentenced to death. He tried to appeal this decision and blame hiring a hitman to murder on his um, PTSD. But um, that was a load of bull squash and the court saw that, so they declined that appeal. Okay. You said he got death, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So at 45 years old, on May 23rd, 1992, he was executed by lethal injection. Oh, that's kind of crazy that he actually uh, was executed. I don't yeah, feel like that ever really happens. Texas doesn't mess around. I mean, I I'm, I know that, but I just think that's kind of crazy because typically yeah. it takes forever. Yeah. I mean, it that wasn't take... long. It wasn't long at all, 1992? Yeah. From I 1985? Mean, I mean, seven years on death row really ain't nothing. Yeah, no. I mean, we're talking about death row. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the Black family sued the Soldier of, Forge Mag- Soldier of Fortune magazine for allowing the ads, and John actually testified. As they should have. Yeah. <laughs> so, John testified in the hearing and said that if it wasn't for those ads, he wouldn't have murdered anyone. I mean, obviously. Yeah. I mean, he's still trash, in my opinion, yeah. for murdering people. But, yeah, I mean, he wouldn't have had the opportunity right, had there not been a wanted ad. I mean, like an ad in the paper. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, I actually I was thinking, like, when you're talking about, like, all these people, I was like, did they join, like, a support group? Like, how the fuck did they all get affiliated with each other? But that the makes ad. sense. I, I, but it was before you told me about the ad. Oh. So, like, right. before you told me about the ad, I was like, how the fuck? Like, when Bob came about, and I'm like, what? Like, did yeah. they join a support group? Like... Spouse Killers Unite? Like, what the hell? Right. But that makes sense. Yes. An ad in a magazine. Ad in a magazine. So the Black family did win, and the magazine was um, to pay them $9.4 million. But in 1989, a federal appeals court threw out the decision. They said that it imposed too high of a standard, and that the magazine couldn't be held liable because the wording was too ambiguous. Because he didn't say, I'm hired hitman. He said that he was doing dirty deeds. I'm rolling my eyes in case no one can see that. Right. Which they can't. So It is interesting, too, though, that he's like, oh, I just I wanted to be, like, a bodyguard. But, like, he put an, out, an ad for dirty deeds. Right. Okay, John. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what did he think was going to happen? Right. Yeah. I don't like it. So, John's still in prison. Um, Debbie and Marlene have both been released. And then, you know, Frank and so Iris Debbie didn't actually 30 go. years. She got, like, 47. Right. Well, I was thinking 30 for Cecil and then 17 yeah. for Joe, right? Maybe it was, like, served at the same time. I mean, either way, though. She got Still out crazy. in, like, 2009, I think. So. I mean, that would have been 30 years. 30-something. She would have got out early, right? 1985 yeah. to 2009. I'm bad at math, so give me a second. <laughs> I mean, no, it would have been, what, 20... 85 to 95, 95 to 2005, 24 years. Yeah. So, no. Bull squash. I mean, no, but... A couple. If it, if she could, like, serve them, like, can't they do that sometimes? Make them, like, serve them, like, concurrently? So, like, they serve them at the same time? I thought serving concurrently meant back-to-back. I don't know. That's consecutively. 
but concurrently was at the same time. Okay, it is. You're correct. A concurrent sentence refers to a type of sentence judges are able to give defendant convicted of more than one crime. Instead of serving each sentence one after another, a concurrent sentence allows the defendant to serve all of their sentences at the same time where the longest period of time is controlling. Right, so if so, 30 okay. years is their longest period. Yeah, okay. They, she served whatever, 24, whatever you just said. I'm not positive 2009. I didn't write that in here. Okay. Um, 2004 or 2009. It was one of those. Okay. But either way, I mean, she got out early, but... Right. Which is an unheard of. People get out early all the time for good behavior. Right. Lots of things happen for good behavior. Pretty crazy. I should find out in my Patreon case. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's the end. Yeah, it's freaking nuts. And screw Bob, man. Seriously. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, they all suck. They're all horrible. They all suck. But like, how dare you? How dare you? Have an affair on your wife. Call her fat. Call her fat. Murder her. And then allow your son to find her dead body. Yeah. With a bullet hole in her head. Right. Like, screw you, dude. That one pissed me off. Um, yeah, it should have. It did me too. I hated that. I'm sorry. I am interested though. It is pretty know. crazy. Though. So what did Iris and Frank get? Do you not listen to me at all? I didn't I didn't hear that because I was so dumbfounded by something else. I'm sorry. <laughs> they pled no contest. I for heard, they, after I the heard fact. they pled no contest, but I didn't hear their sentence. They got five years of probation okay. and some fines. Okay. So they never actually did prison time? No, just probation. Did they get insurance fraud? Because they should have. I don't think so. <laughs> All I saw was no contest I mean, for like, accessory after the fact. Okay. What? Nothing. Okay. I was just going to say, like, burning your house down is one thing. But burning your house down to fund a murder, that's a completely different thing. Right. Like, <laughs> no, I agree. Lots of people burn their own houses down. Right, like insurance fraud? Not cool. But, like, insurance no. fraud for murder? Yeah. No. Mm, I don't I don't. I don't, think I don't love thing. that. No. Yeah. No. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you for that big old pile of crap. You're welcome. I, I thought you would that. enjoy it. I did so much. It was really enjoyable for me. Thank you. Loved it. So, all right, well. All right. Join the Patreon so you can hear Sierra's cool case, and uh, we'll it's catch you next cool. week. It's not cool. It's disgusting, but it's interesting. And if you're into people getting out, um, getting to do fun things for being good prisoners, then it's a doozy. It's a heck of a doozy, some of the things they let prisoners do. Okay. All right, so we'll catch you next week. All right, bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. If you like what you heard and you want to support a small podcast, please give us money at www.patreon.com forward slash weekly dose of wicked, where you can join one of our four amazing tiers, starting at just a measly $3 a month. That's literally 10 cents a day. You can join the Slightly Wicked. After that, we've got the Moderately Wicked for just $5 a month, followed by the Awesomely Wicked for $7 a month. And for those high rollers, big ballers, we have the Extraordinarily Wicked. So head on over, check it out. If you like what you see, join it up. If subscriptions aren't your jam, head on over to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash W-D-O-W where you can give us a one-time donation to buy us a coffee or, you know, like podcasting equipment, which would probably be a better use of our money. Feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at weekly underscore dose underscore of underscore wicked or you can just search weekly dose of wicked and we'll pop up because we're the only ones. Or you can give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash weekly dose of wicked. Or, you know what, you could just do both, because that would be better for us. For a direct feed of our podcast, please go to www.weeklydoseofwicked.buzzsprout.com. 
Great news, guys. We've made it big time. And you can now listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Yep, yep. Even Pandora. They finally let us in. Make sure to come back next Wednesday for your weekly, weekly dose, dose of Wicked. But I'm psh. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.